Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Bad bosses are one of the main reasons I started my first PR practice 15 years ago. At one time or another, we've all had a bad boss, whether it's through bullying and intimidation, unfair feedback, or unrealistic workloads. Their behavior sets the tone for what's acceptable in an organization and can cause major issues for productivity, staff turnover, and well-being, especially during difficult times like we've been experiencing in the past couple of years of the pandemic. In a tough or toxic work environment, how can you challenge your thinking and shift perspective and make relationships work? Well, my guest today is going to answer some of those questions. Michelle Gibbings has written a book, Bad Boss, What to Do If You Work for One, Manage One or Are One, where she draws upon decades of experience in corporate leadership to provide a practical transformation guide. In this book, she covers all three perspectives, the direct report, the boss and the boss's boss, helping readers quickly identify where the issue lies along with actionable steps to turn things around. Michelle says that bad bosses aren't always bad people and it takes work at every level to create an environment where everyone can flourish. She also has previous books including Step Up, How to Build Your Influence and Work and Career Leap, How to Reinvent and Liberate Your Career. She's a global keynote speaker on a mission to help leaders, teams and organisations create successful workplaces where people thrive and progress is accelerated. So welcome to the Politics of Everything, Michelle. Amber, delighted to be with you. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since 2017, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution to make the process quick and painless, the way podcasting should be. If you know me, I'm pretty obsessed with quality guests, quality content, and quality sound, and that's what Zencaster allows me to do. Not to mention, it's really easy to use, even for my guests that aren't particularly tech-savvy. There's nothing to download, they just click on the link and we start recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production all in the one tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get each episode done. I want you to have the same great experience that I do for all my podcasts and content needs. So I have a special offer for you. If you go to zen.ai forward slash politics of everything and enter this promo code, you'll get 30% off in your first three months when you sign up to Zencaster Pro. That's Z-E-N dot A-I, politics of everything. It's now time to share your story. This is a great topic and even the title of your book, it did remind me of that movie with Jennifer Aniston, which I still find very funny, even though I'm sure for some people that would be very traumatic to watch. (laughs) Absolutely, and some highly inappropriate behaviour on the part of the boss. Absolutely. So let's go back to, to, I guess, before this particular incarnation of your career. Do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up as a kid? And did that happen? What was your sort of early career all about? I wanted to be a member of Charlie's Angels. So no, it didn't happen. <laughs> but if Damn I, it. I mean, I know, I know, I wanted to be Kelly. Look, if I think about it through primary and even into upper high school, I always thought I'd be a teacher. 
I loved learning. I loved history and English and science. And then I sort of fell into my first career, which was working in politics. And it's interesting though, because, you know, fast forward, I guess, 25 years and I look at some of the work that I do now and there are elements of teaching in it. I mean, there's certainly a hell of a lot of learning in terms of the work that I do. I'm learning something all the time. So I think it's interesting. My first sort of real career interest came back to me in later life. Yeah, that's great. I love when you can connect the dots and sort of see how you ended up where you are. And I think your early aptitude perhaps in school and sometimes beyond that is actually where you should be. But it takes some people a more roundabout way to get there. And like, you know, a lot of us, the careers that you thought of 30 years ago or whatever wouldn't necessarily have existed. So to dive straight into this topic, I read an article in Business Wire in the US that surveyed 3,000 workers and said that over 80% of workers across 10 industries said they quit their jobs due to their manager's poor behaviour, including not being open or honest micromanaging, oh my gosh, my pet peeve, and disrespecting personal time. So how has the pandemic and the impact of that, and I guess that great resignation trend, which we've seen in the past sort of year or so, really meant that people feel more empowered or less willing to accept a bad boss? I think there's a couple of layers to it. You know, certainly over the last couple of years, people have had time to sit back and really assess where am I going with my career and how does that play into my life? And I often think, you know, you can't divorce the two. Your career and your life go hand in hand. And so people have then said, I actually don't like my work environment, don't like my boss, I don't want to be here anymore. And then next to that as well, you know, particularly in Australia at the moment, we have got just such a buoyant job market. I mean, I think it was last week the ABS released data which said, you know, 423,000 job vacancies. And we're certainly seeing in certain professional quarters pay rises are leaping beyond what we've experienced in the past. So people are sitting back and seeing all of that and going, well, if I was ever going to leave – now's a great time to do it because I know that there are huge opportunities in the market. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. We've had a lot of time at home and I guess, you know, when you're rushing to and from work, for example, and you're on that kind of rat race schedule, it's much more harder to self-reflect. I guess the other thing to this in the past couple of years, and I've been doing this for many years, having, you know, run my own businesses for about 15 years, do you think remote and hybrid work has shifted the ways in which that bad boss dynamic can actually operate? So, for example, if you're suddenly now negotiated or you're working from home money, you know, two, three days a week, you're not going in five days a week, for example, you actually don't have them in your face. You can maybe go onto a Zoom and then, you know, regroup and get on with your day. Those boundaries perhaps on personal time, the only things I think people whinge about, the fact that people think, particularly during lockdown, that you're at home all the time, oh, that's okay, you should log on at 6am. And if I want to speak to you at 6pm, that's okay too, because you don't have anywhere else to be. I guess that's the big one to kind of negotiate. But is there any view you have on how that dynamic might have shifted? Because we're not necessarily all in the office together in that pressure cooker environment. Look, it's interesting because there's a couple of things with that. Firstly, different bosses have coped differently through the pandemic. Some have really stepped up really well and that sort of natural leadership style that they've got has come to the fore. Other leaders who in the past in a normal working environment were really good have struggled because they're in a different dynamic. They're having to lead differently and they haven't quite found the technique to be able to do that. And often what I've heard from many leaders who have said to me, I'm finding it really hard at the moment because I'm dealing with my own struggles about lockdown and mental health challenges. 
and I'm trying to care for my team and I'm not seeing them as much as I used to. So I don't know how to reach out and provide that support that I used to provide. So I think, you know, the context for many leaders has shifted. And as well for some leaders, what they're finding is that disconnect that perhaps had been there with their team members is even greater because they're finding that remote communication, you know, be it Teams or Zoom, isn't giving them the connection that they need that they would have had if they were in the office. What I am seeing though on the employee side as well is that many employees are actually getting in some respects better with boundaries because as I said, you know, it's actually easier to get off a Zoom call and a Teams call than it is if you're actually in a room with a leader. But the biggest challenge through the pandemic has been just that constancy of online connection and that no sense of a break. Yeah, absolutely. And that would definitely, I guess, for the micromanaging bad boss, for example, I mean, they might be checking, I mean, is that person still online? At what time? You know, and actually use that as a, weaponize that, I guess, in a way to sort of, you know, say, well, this person's doing more than another. But we all know productivity decreases if you're online 12 hours a day. We're not robots. Absolutely. I remember early in the pandemic, I had a senior leader who said to me, you know, I, you know, I've got issues with productivity. I can't see what people are doing. And I said, well, I wouldn't say that the issues with productivity are necessarily correlated with the pandemic. You probably had the issues already, but you're not seeing your team. So you're assuming that it's worse than it was before. And similarly, when people were saying to me, you know, I'm having challenges with some of my team members, once again, a lot of those issues were already there. It was just exacerbated because they weren't seeing people face-to-face in the way that they were seeing them before. Absolutely. And I I suppose on that, I mean, in terms of the boss angle, do you have any tips for bosses who maybe are struggling with it? I mean, I've seen it with a number of my clients. I consult very widely, very industry broad, not not anyone at sector. But I know I've had some sort of, you know, if you like, water cooler conversations when I've gone in to do media training and said, oh, how's it going? You know, everyone's coming back to the office. And some of the leaders I've spoken to are a bit like, well, yeah, I want them all back five days a week. And they feel very anxious about that. They feel like that's the that's the that's the end goal, if you know what I mean, rather than being much more fluid in the approach. Do you have any views on that? I think if that's what they see as the end goal, that's a real shame because they're missing the opportunity. There are so many benefits of a fully flexible workplace in terms of your ability to attract talent, your ability to make sure you've got the right level of diversity, particularly for women who are working and, you know, looking after kids and trying to split and job share. There are so many opportunities with this. And so it's never that sense of one size fits all. Sit down, have a conversation with your team, understand what your needs are, understand what their needs are, because that's what the best leaders do is they find out what's that common ground where we can all move forward together in a way that's really productive, where I'm getting the outcomes that I'm looking for, but also the team are getting the connection that they need, the development that they need, and the flexibility that they crave. Because I think if you go, it's five days and that's it, you're going to lose people and good people. Yeah, absolutely. So in your book, you say that if you dare to examine your own role in your current situation and take swift action, you'll gain better relationships, accelerated outcomes, and greater career satisfaction. So what's some of your tips for an employee to improve their own voice? And I guess action change in a toxic workplace, it can feel sometimes a lonely exercise. If everyone's sort of operating in a culture of fear, for example, they're not necessarily going to bandy together in a way which maybe mobilizes action. So what would be your advice to anyone struggling with how to bring that conversation to a head? 
you know, it's, I always say to people, you can't change someone else. You can only change yourself. And so you change yourself in terms of what you do or your reaction to what's going on, or you make decisions around where to next with your career. And so the key thing when an environment isn't working for you, firstly, you do need to critically self-examine. And I know this can be hard, but that critical examination is what's my part Am I contributing to this? You know, am I feeling like I've got a micromanaging boss who's being really hard to work with? Because am I not delivering what's expected of me? Am I late? Am I not building the relationships that I need? Am I not looking at my boss and understanding what's going on for them? And I think, you know, it's really easy to judge and we all do it. We all do it very, very quickly. But, you know, if your boss is a hard person to work for, look at the context in which they're working. Is it that they're under a lot of pressure and that they've got a really tough boss? And that perhaps one of the things that you can do is actually go and have a conversation with them and go, hey, I can see that there's a lot going on. How can I help you? So how do you provide them with support? And then if the relationship really isn't working, you know, sometimes it's it's sitting down and working through what are my options? One, take care of your mental health and well-being because that's always really, really, really important. Understand the support base that you have who might be able to help you navigate and negotiate a better environment because you might be able to move somewhere else within the organization or you might be able to talk to someone who knows them really well so that you can understand where they're coming from. And then there are occasions where, and you you do need to be careful about this, you actually sit down and have a conversation with them about how you work together. And I've done that. You know, I had a really tough boss at one stage. But the person had good good intent. Like I didn't look at them and go, this is a narcissist. They're not a bully, but they were just a very challenging person to work with. And when I sat down and talked through how I really wanted to work with them well, I really wanted to be able to support them, but that I was really struggling because I didn't feel like I was getting the support from them that I needed they hadn't seen that. And it totally changed the dynamic of the relationship because I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't realize you needed more from me. And so we talk through what that can look like. So, you know, that does take courage, but I always think with courage comes reward. Absolutely. And I think there's some good practical advice there for people. I think it's just that barrier sometimes to, you know, move beyond your own situation. Like you say, have a conversation with someone. So this is a tough one. How do you know if you're a bad boss in 2022? And it's been a while since I've operated in a fully sort of a full-time, you know, corporate environment having worked in my practice for so long but I have gone and done sort of secondments in agencies or in workplaces and you know there's all these sorts of tools they use 360 feedback they try to minimize staff turnover they give people perks they might give them some extended mental health leave or could support them to have a healthier kind of balance in their life what are the things that you think that you know make you can give them all these tools and all these fancy things in the world but at the end of the day how do you know if you're a bad boss I do think one of the most effective is a 360. It's a 360 where you rate yourself, your peers, your direct reports, colleagues, your boss rate you as well. And then you can look at the profile and you look at the gap between how you think you lead and how people experience your leadership. And that is really instructive because then you've got data that you can work with and go, wow, I didn't realize that that's how people saw me. Because often, you know, your intent can be really good, but people can misinterpret that intent. And, you know, and sure, you can look at data like things, you know, turnover, sick leave, 
you know, what's the level of output and productivity in the team? What's the error rate in the team? But I think with a 360, you know, when you're using a good one where it's, you know, it's built around a really strong leadership and development framework, it then gives you insights that you can then use to go, okay, now that I know this, I can then consciously develop a plan to work through where I need to focus and how I can change my behavior so I can be a more effective leader. Yeah, and I think that's really important. It must be hard though for people to hear that, particularly I guess, you know, it leads into my next question. You know, lots of us had toxic managers or micromanagers or passive aggressive, which is my least favorite, I think, of all of them, who may get results for for the business or for the leadership team or be in the LT, but the colleagues either fear them or loathe them or avoid interacting with them. They're just operating in that constant flight, fright reaction to get results. So how can a business make sure it's keeping an eye on just not just creating profits and outputs, but actually a culture where, you know, success is measured more than just those metrics? Look, and you're right in terms of the word culture. Culture is so important. And just to touch on your comment before about getting the feedback and it being hard to hear. Absolutely. You know, I always say, you know, I had all of these sort of tools done to me when I was an exec in corporate, but you don't know, you don't get the insights unless you're willing to go there. And you can get the feedback and look at it and go, wow, that hurt. Or you can look at it and go, okay, thank you. Now I've got some data to work with that I can actually really hone and focus my energy and my effort. And really good leaders want to have really good direct reports who also lead team members. And so when you think about it as a senior leader and an executive, your behavior sets the standard. If you're a bad boss, crap leader, that filters down and all the research shows that, that toxic behavior filters through the organization. If you've got a bad boss, that behavior is likely to infect the level below and that level below is then more likely to do what we call abusive supervision Mm. where they're more likely to take it out on the people that work for them. And if you think about it, you know, we know that our emotions are contagious bad leadership is contagious. And, you know, we don't have to look too far to see all the correlations in terms of organizations that perform badly and you know, often at the root cause of bad performance, and that can include regulatory failures, you know, massive customer issues, stems from bad leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, I often think, you know, those leaders who go, oh, yeah, but we get great results and all of that kind of stuff. And I go, it's always short term. You might be able to do that for a while, but not for too long. Yeah. And I suppose, look, I'm just thinking from personal experiences, obviously not going to name names. I've had leaders where they've kind of, they've been the, the, the people have stayed and there's been movement around them and then the organization still doesn't address it. So I think that's kind of a challenge too, particularly I'm thinking in bigger organizations, it's harder in a smaller, you know, SME or a startup or somewhere where, you know, there's nowhere to hide. But in those really multi-layered organizations, I've worked in comms teams of 60 people within an organization, for example, and you might have someone who, just kind of is just always there but there's a lot of people leaving and coming and going from their team but that problem doesn't get addressed I suppose for some organizations is it just too hard or is it just that they don't see it I think there's a couple of things sometimes and it's you know, it's a horrible thing to say, but it is, you know, people look at it and go, oh, well, you know, they're the big salesperson. They bring in the big bucks and, you know, the big revenue and we can't get rid of them. Or the person is really good mates with the senior leader. Ah, uh, yes. And so the senior yep. leader goes, 
oh, yeah, but no, nah, they're fine. Oh, look, yeah, they're just being a bit of this or a bit of that. Yeah, look, people are overplaying it and they're not taking it seriously enough. And also, you know, there are some people, you know, particularly if you've got that sort of more narcissistic Machiavellian personality traits, you can be very good at managing up and you can charm the pants off people and everyone senior goes, wow, they're amazing. All the people who work for them go, oh, my God, they're a nightmare. Yes. And how does that get addressed? I guess, you know, if they're not open to 360 feedback or it's not part of the culture, or like you say, it's falling on deaf ears because of personal relationships, which, you know, can be glue, I guess, in some organizations, particularly in senior leadership. I've seen, you know, people take people with them if they like. So that sort of toxic person seems to get promoted all the time, which can seem very unfair, I guess, to people working with them that are not fine that experience, you know, life giving or career building. Well, I think it comes back to that senior leader. How do you want to be seen? What's the legacy that you want to leave as a leader? Because if you're a good leader, you do 360s with your direct report. So you really get that objective data. You do exit interviews when people leave. You do skip level meetings. So you talk to the team members and go, hey, what's working, what's not working. Now, all of that will only work though if they, if they trust you. If they think you're buddy, buddy, buddy with their, their boss they're not going to divulge much to you. And with 360s, they do need to be done with good intent. I've seen one situation where a 360 was done and there was a couple of people on the team who gave not so favorable feedback on the leader and the leader then made it their mission to try and figure out who it was. Oh, no. Um, and then HR had to get involved. It all got really, really messy because it was not handled appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a believer that um, no one's got to where they are without a couple of great people, maybe more, that have had an impact in their life. They could be formal mentors or just people that have had influence. Are there one or two for you that stand out and what, what sort of contribution have they made to where you are today? Oh, look, I wouldn't be where I am today without many amazing people in my life, including my parents who just, you know, backed me in anything um, and everything I did. But Two standouts from my days when I was in corporate, both of whom female, and you know that's not to say I've had bad bosses who are males. I was actually throughout my career, I've had some amazing male bosses and amazing female bosses and some not so good female bosses and not so good male bosses. But these two in particular, both of them, they trusted me. They saw in me capability that I didn't realize I had. And then would put me in situations where they would back me into really big roles. And when I would be nervous about whether I would have the capability to bite it off, they were like, you can do this. We trust you. And then they didn't just leave you to flounder. They really backed you into the role and gave you the support that you needed to succeed. And to this day, you know, if I ring them, they will always answer the phone. And I haven't worked with both of them for many, many years. Yeah, that's always great. And I think you do remember those people, you, you, then they always have an impact. And sometimes you can have those sort of, you know, what would they do? What would they advise me to do? Even if they're no longer in your day-to-day life, I'd often think of the mentors that I've had and that's how I kind of still utilise their wisdom. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And also just genuinely nice people. And they were, to me, exemplars of good leaders because they really knew their values, they lived to their values, they stood by their word and they made tough decisions when they needed to, but it was always done with care and compassion for the people who were involved. Yeah, absolutely. So if we spoke again in a year, what would be the number one thing you would hope to have changed in your business or career and why? 
I'm halfway through my PhD, so I'm hoping by this oh time my next goodness. year I'm at maybe three quarters, if not almost getting, 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 getting close to feeling like I've bitten off more of the elephant than is left behind. And what's the PhD on, can we ask? It's looking at the impact of gratitude um, oh, in a work in a workplace context. So look, it's great. I love it. I love running the business, but it's a it's pretty full on endeavor. Absolutely. Final takeaway message for us today on the politics of bad bosses. I go back to one of the comments you made in the intro. I think it's rare for a person to wake up in the morning and go, you know, my role, my goal today is to be a crap boss. (laughs) I genuinely don't think people set out to do that, but they turn up and they're ineffective as leaders often for a whole raft of reasons, but often it's driven by context, driven by stress and a lack of self-awareness. And so if we want good leaders, if we want great work environments, it's all of us playing a role and all of us being willing to learn more about ourselves, shift how we turn up, how we respond to what's going on, and also just trying to be our best every single day. Absolutely. Look, some great advice there. And if you do want to contact Michelle or grab a copy of her book, there are some details on the show notes. It's been a pleasure, Michelle. It's been a, it's such a dark topic in some ways, but you've shed such good light on it that I feel like it's a, it's a positive podcast topic in the end. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.